Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I spoke with a man named Nathan Ogden. Nathan has an amazing story. I can, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, he's the author of the book called Unfrozen and the, the founder of the Chair the Hope organization. It's a nonprofit. I highly recommend that you check out both of those. We talk a little bit about them in this interview here. And I want you to hear his story from the way that he tells it. So let's dive right in. Without further delay, here is Nathan Ogden. Hey, Nathan, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's, it's a real honor to have you here. Hey, I'm excited to be here. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Well, to begin, I, I would love to just sort of give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience and, and you know, give them a, a high-level perspective of sort of what you've been through and, and where you're coming from now. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, so I'm from Boise, Idaho, and I, I was probably like a lot of people, like I Graduated. I love outdoors. I love sports. I I'm active, and I went uh, went to college. Met my wife there. We uh, have been married for four and a half years. This is almost 17 years ago. And uh, we at 26 years old. I you know I was married. I had two really little kids: a two-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, we bought our first home. I graduated from college. I had a great job. Everything was kind of the way I always thought it should be. Um, and I went snow skiing in Bend, Oregon, where my wife is from. And, and three days before Christmas, I came off a jump. I ended up about 30 feet into the air, which I was not trying to do. And I came down and landed on my neck and tumbled around my skis and pulled them flying everywhere. Um, and bottom line is I, I shattered my C7 vertebrae and it instantly paralyzed me. Um, I didn't realize that though. I just thought I knocked the wind out of myself. So I'm trying to get up. I can't get up. All of a sudden I'm feeling pain. It's getting harder to breathe. Um, so they rush me off the hill. They get me to the hospital and I wake up a few days later with a, a halo on my head because I've ever seen someone in a halo, but it's, you know, this metal contraption that's screwed into your skull to help hold your neck in place. And, um, I learned that I was paralyzed and that I would probably never walk again. And, uh, that was, that was pretty tough, but in, as hard as that was to realize, I, I knew in my mind I would walk again because I had too many things I wanted to do standing up. You know, I wanted to go play football with my son or teach him how to fish hiking up in the mountains. And I wanted to go out and play volleyball with my daughter. And I wanted to, I wanted to walk on the beach with my wife still. That's, these were my things I had to do standing up. So, uh, 
we fought really hard. And I say we because I believe nobody does anything by themselves in life. You always have help. You always have assistance. And my wife and kids were my, they were my purpose. And it was tough. But over the next year, I got back almost all of my upper body. And I could move my legs just a tiny bit. Not much at all. But I could move them just a tiny, tiny bit. Which to me meant I will walk. My legs are starting to move. I keep working at this. I may not run around the mountains, but I will walk again. And I'd started working full time. I had a truck equipped so that I could drive because I don't like minivans. A lot of times you always think of paralyzed and you think of minivan. And I thought, no, this is, you can leave me in the hospital, but you're not sticking me in a minivan the rest of my life. But we figured out to have a truck retrofitted. It's like a transformer truck. It's really cool. And I guess our life, we'd, we'd kind of retrofitted our house and fixed it up a bit. And we still had, I still had a good family. I still had a good job. I still had a good home. I still had all that stuff. And we still had the same dreams. We just had to figure out a different way to get to them. So 13 months after that neck break, I came down with pneumonia. I went unconscious in my sleep one night. They bring the ambulance out. They rush me into the hospital. They've got me on the x-ray table. They've, they've sat me up with some, a wedge back behind me so they can get a good shot of my lungs to see what, how bad the pneumonia is. And while the x-ray tech and myself are the only ones in the room, my wife is sitting in a chair right outside the door, and I'm still unconscious. I fell off the x-ray table and broke my neck again, the second time. Wow. After that one, I lost the use of, well, initially I lost the use of everything again. But I quickly got back some of it, but then it stopped. And so I lost the use of my hands, so I can't move my fingers. I can't use my triceps in the back of your arms. And I lost everything from the chest down, and none of that has come back. Well, none of it except on a good day I can move my middle finger just a little bit. I'm not quite sure what I'll use that middle finger for but I can move that middle finger a tiny bit. And so I learned real quickly that there's, when I broke my neck the first time, as devastating as that was, you can, you can see it. You know, if you're sitting in a store and I come wheeling in, you know something's wrong. Either I was born that way or an accident happened. But with the second, and so I was paralyzed to get it. But with the second one, Though I was still physically paralyzed, I became mentally paralyzed because now all these dreams that I told you that I wanted to do standing up, they weren't going to happen anymore. And that kind of froze me. And it put me in a place that um, I didn't know how to handle life for a little bit. And I dealt with some depression. I dealt with just being there, not really... I may have been in the room, but I wasn't really in the conversation, if you will, because I was stuck. I was frozen, and uh, that was that was tough. That was 
dealing the mental part of it was harder than dealing with the physical side of it. And the physical was pretty hard. Wow. I, I truly can't imagine the, the challenge there. Uh, what was your, you know, it, when you initially, uh, you know, came back after the second accident, what was your initial thoughts on sort of like, you know, did you have the same hope that you had the, the after the first incident? I initially did. Or that, uh, I wrote this in a, a book I released a couple of years ago, but, um, I, they had to give me oxygen to try and get me to come back to. And I remember waking up, opening my eyes in a, an empty, cold, hospital room with the lights off and I'm by myself and my wife comes walking in and she told me what had happened that I'd been paralyzed all over again and they were going to be shipping me to a different hospital for surgery and you could see the fear in her eyes and uh, I said three words I could barely whisper even at that point and I said bring it on um, because in my mind I'm not saying I'm like some great hero by any means. I'm just saying, in my mind, I thought, it's all right. I've done this before. I can do it again. We can do it faster. We can do it better. It's better it happens to me twice than somebody else once. And, you know, it's only taking a couple of weeks. We're going to be back to where we were. Um, so that was my initial thought. But then after those few weeks and nothing was coming back, that's when it hit hard. Wow. So I think just your initial reaction is really phenomenal. It's, it's such an indication of mental fortitude. Where, where do you think that came from? Did that come from your, your childhood, your upbringing? Where did you learn to have that optimistic reaction? Um, well, I, I don't know if it's fully, you want to give credit to your parents for everything. I don't know if it's fully from them. I know my mom is like that. If there's something she wants, she's going to figure out how to do it. Uh, my dad is a great example of going out and living life, and he's an adventurer, loves to travel the world. So maybe there was a lot of that. I, I think some of it I was probably born. There's some people you can tell. They're just, they've got a little more drive. And I'm not saying that that's better or worse than anyone else, but I think that's something I've always been able to do look more positive. However, I think a big portion of it is at that time I had, and well, I still have, an amazing, amazing wife who is also very positive and looks at things and is willing to fight through whatever it takes to get what we're after. So I knew that with her by my side, no matter how hard it got, we could figure out a way to be happy. Um, without that, if I didn't have her, I didn't have my kids to motivate me, it may have been a whole different story. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, glad that you had those sports systems because I couldn't even imagine just the, you know, you described the feeling as being mentally frozen. I couldn't imagine, and I don't think most people could imagine actually being, finding themselves in a state like that. How did you go about, you know, sort of breaking out of that state? Um, I think it was my family, my family finally came to me and it's not like I just sat in a room all day and did nothing. Um, I, I coached my kids soccer teams in a wheelchair. I, you know, I went to parties. I, I did, 
stuff with the family. Um, but after a while, I don't know how long it was, a year, year and a half, they finally came to me and they said, Dad, you're not, you're not here. We love that you're, you come to all our stuff, but you don't laugh. You also don't cry. You're just kind of there. And I was on a med- medication that was supposed to help me with nerve pain. I, I deal with a lot of nerve pain. I feel like I'm on fire all the time. So part of the dr- that drug is also an antidepressant. That's just how it comes. And so I, I decided, and I'm not saying it was all the medicine, but I finally decided, you know what, I would rather deal with more pain and be present in life and enjoy life more than to just be where I'm at and not really, not really feel anything. So I got off the drug and then I, I made a decision that I want to live life more. And that's kind of one of our family mottos is living unfrozen. It's uh, not allowing ourselves to, to stay in our comfort zone too long before you step outside because I, I fully believe that it's right outside your comfort zone that that's where magic happens. That's where life happens. We stay in our comfort zones. You may think you're really happy and parts of it is, but man, you got to go try new things. You've got to go push yourself a little bit. Was that feeling of, you know, having that thought that in that decision to, you know, sort of mentally unfreeze, was that like an aha moment or was that sort of just like a natural progression that led to like, you know, that, that final decision? That was more of a, a natural, but longer period of time. I, you know, you see movies or something and someone has that boom and they remember the date and everything that happened in it. And there were definitely times like that where all of a sudden I realized something. I, I wanted to do it. I was going to push through it. And I even thought that I'll remember this date for the rest of my life. And a week later, things hadn't really changed. Or I may have been motivated for a few days, but then I slid back down. And I, I, people need to know that. They need, yeah. to not, they need to not judge themselves because it's rarely ever does someone all of a sudden just switch their life around that quickly. It, you're going to slide back. It's going to take time. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important to know that it doesn't happen like how you see it in a movie with just this one moment and everything's different after that. And um, I'm curious, like what sort of, did you create like a system where you're able to remind yourself, you know, you mentioned that it's a family motto, you know, to live unfrozen. It, what sort of system did you create for yourself, maybe a mental trick or some sort where you're able to remind yourself, reinforce yourself of that? Um, I, I think there's a few things that people need to do and what I need to do and I still need to do. Otherwise I know I can slip back into that is one is you need to, we all kind of have little triggers. We have things that, that I guess it is kind of our comfort zone. It's kind of where we go back to where we feel safe. So to me, like for instance, I, I made a pact. I wrote it down and every day I had to work on this that I would not um, look at social media. I wouldn't look at TV. I wouldn't even check my emails until I had read the scriptures. Um, I'm religious and that was something I, that was a priority to me. And so I knew at least at that point when I went to bed, even if I didn't do anything else during the day and I was a total bum, I accomplished one thing 
that is important to me. And I read the scriptures. And I think that's important that there, you set up a few things that you have to do every day, no matter what. And you put those before everything else. And then no matter what you've done that day, you did progress. You did something. And to me, progression is everything. It doesn't mean you have to go fast, but you have to be moving forward. And anyone who's feeling depressed or feeling like the anxiety and they're stuck, you have to be doing something every day just to feel like you're worth anything. And you have to figure out what that is. So if it's every day I will call a new friend and see how they're doing to help make their day better and compliment them. How hard is that? That's not that hard. Or I will write a physical letter and email it to somebody, or I mean mail it to somebody every day. Um, you've just made someone's life better. So you did something good that day. Uh, so I, I guess that was a long way of saying you have to set up a few little things that you do all the time. That no matter what else happens in that day, you have done something so that you feel like you're a success. And then two, I think you need to share your goals with others. A goal that you just keep to yourself can be dismissed because we can convince ourselves to move things around in, in our mind. But if you tell other people about it, then you have accountability. Accountability is huge in everyone's life. So if you let people know, I'm going to try and do this by this point, then you're far more likely to get it done. Absolutely. And I, I really could not agree more with, with what you just said there. And I'd love to just uh, take a step back and talk about those little things that you do every day to, you know, make yourself, give yourself that self-worth. Have you added to that at all beyond, you know, reading the scriptures? Is that still your number one foundation block or is there anything that you've added to that to, to, you know, make for an even, you know, an even more effective day an even better day, that sort of thing? Uh, that is still my number one deal. I, I usually, I have to get up in the middle of the night to roll over. It's hard for me to sleep or to even just roll over in a bed. It's pretty difficult being a quadriplegic. Um, so when I roll over in the middle of the night, I grab my scriptures at like four in the morning and I, that's when I read. It's dead quiet. No one bothers me. And I know at least before I even wake up that day, I've accomplished something that's important to me. But then, uh, yeah, I, I've actually tried a lot of different things. Um, one of my favorite, and I haven't kept it up, is for one month, I wrote, physically wrote two, uh, little cards, like kind of thank you cards every single day for a month and mailed it off to business partners, to friends, to old, you know, people in high school, whoever it is. And, uh, it took some time out of each day, but the, what I got back from that was just amazing. How much people appreciate a handwritten note showing that you actually care. Um, so I do try and do that as often as I can. Um, I don't, you know, that's a great question. I don't know if I have like some really set things other than that. And I really try and be present with my kids and my wife. So it's, it's dinner time. 
man, I don't leave, I don't bring my phone to the table. I want to be there where I'm at. I want to enjoy every moment that's happening at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that, uh, when you're sent, like sending the letters and do you think that you're, you're, this is just sort of, uh, out of my own curiosity. Do you think you're, uh, you know, livening up people's days when they receive those letters, uh, as much as it sort of comes back to you or do you think, you know, cause you oftentimes hear that, you know, giving a gift feels better for the, the giver than even the recipient. That, what's your experience with that? Well, I, I know that. So take over that 30 days, you know, 60, a minimum of 60 cards I sent out. I didn't hear back from most of those. Uh, but for the ones that I did, I probably heard back maybe 10, 12 people. Um, many of them were, talking about how they were crying when they were reading it. Uh, maybe I haven't been in contact with them in years. Uh, others, it, it motivated them to start doing the same thing. And they turned around and started writing letters. So it, it meant something. I, I, my guess is it meant something to everyone because I know it would mean something to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I get a handwritten card, nowadays people don't handwrite cards. You know, you, you email, you text. It's faster, it's simpler. Um, but if you're, if you're actually going to do that, it means something more. So I think it, I think it meant far more to them than it did to me. But man, you, you sure love to feel that love back as well. Absolutely. So I'd love to learn more about how you've sort of transitioned because now you're doing, you know, really phenomenal things, things that, uh, I think a lot of people are, are wouldn't have the courage to do you know, without, uh, you know, like they just normally they, they wouldn't find themselves in a situation where they, they are impelled to write a book or be a speaker. Like how, how did you elevate yourself and get out of that mental, um, you know, frozen state to get to the point where now you're, you're public and you're doing your best to help other people. How, how did that progression go? Uh, I think the number one thing is I realized, which I hope we all realize in our lives is that when you're out serving others and you're helping them, the joy and the benefit that comes out of that is far greater than when you're ever just serving yourself. And if you have certain goals and you have aspirations, um, things that you really want to do and accomplish, I believe the best way to get them done is to go out and find out what others are trying to do and help them succeed. And if you help others succeed in what they need, I believe that your goals and your dreams will automatically start taking place. And because I deal with so much pain, because it's, and I'm not saying it's like I have it such harder than everyone else. I'm just physically, um, I deal with so much pain. It's harder for me to get around. It's, it's more of a struggle. Um, I, I can easily get down on myself and go back into my hole and think, man, why is life so much harder for me? And this is, this is difficult. Why they have it easier than I do. Um, and I start to put myself at a different level thinking I have it harder than them. And I have realized that when I go serve and I help others, that's when I quit thinking about my pain 
or if I have that pain, it's worth it to deal with that pain to go out to another country and be lifted and thrown around and, you know, all types of uncomfortable situations. But then to see someone's life changed completely because of the sacrifice I made, it makes it easily worth every time we do it. Wow. Wow. Um, I think that's, uh, that's really awesome. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Nathan, is there any other maybe written material or things that you might have read, um, you know, besides religious texts that, that sort of guided you or inspired you or given you, you know, a different philosophy or outlook on life? Is there anything, any other content that you'd sort of recommend there? Uh, not a, I need to be a better reader, but there is a man's, man's search for meaning. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. I think it's um, Victor. Victor Frankl. Michael? Frankl, yeah. yes. So that that is a his book. It's not a long book, but it it goes all along with your mental, what people are mentally capable of doing, and how you can push yourself physically if you're in the right mindset. Having to do with all the Nazi camps and how how he lived through it and survived. Um, amazing book, and also another. Great book, which actually goes along with uh, Victor Frankl, is uh, Aspire by Kevin Hall. Aspire? Aspire, like you're aspiring to something by Kevin Hall. It's a, a very powerful book, and he talks a lot about Victor Frankl in there. Um, and it goes into different, he's, it's all about words, and it's about the meaning of words and everything we say, every sentence, every, every, word that comes out of our mouth actually means something to us. So it's kind of like you always hear people say, I'm busy. You know, everybody says that. You're down in LA. Everyone says busy. I'm too busy. Well, try changing the word busy for the word blessed for one week and see how that changes because you're never going to hear someone, oh man, I'm so blessed. You know, that doesn't happen. Yeah. You hear the word blessed, you immediately your mind goes to more of a positive tone. So anyway, those are the two books that I love. I love that. I, I've read the first one, haven't read the second one. I'm looking forward to it now. Uh, you mentioned, you know, sort of replacing some of the words in your everyday vocabulary. Is that something that you try to educate your, your family on as well? Try and catch them in the habit of? Yeah, my wife and I are pretty pretty good at catching our kids, but also each other. It's not, it's not fun to be corrected, but if you're humble enough to realize, oh, you know what, I could change that, um, then it's well worth it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I'd love to learn more about your organization, Chair the Hope. When, when did you start that organization? Um, it became an official nonprofit just back in April is when we actually got the 501c3. But a year and a half ago, and I'll make this very short, but our family rode bicycles. We have four kids now. Um, we rode bicycles from Bend, Oregon, at the, at the ski resort where I broke my neck, down to Los Angeles in 11 days, um, 1,200 miles. And we're not a bike riding family. 
All right. So when this idea came up, we had three bikes and two of them had flats and there's six of us. So we, we rode bikes to raise money for people who need wheelchairs in other countries, because as a family, we know what it's like to not have a wheelchair. And so we did this bike ride and it was amazing. It was hard. It was difficult, but it was phenomenal. And we raised $43,000 for, for people who need wheelchairs and each wheelchair only costs $150 and that's wow. to, to another country. So that, that was a lot of lives changed. So we get home back to Boise. I go to a Boise State football game, you know, I know the blue turf and we carried me down to some seats at halftime. My wife is piggybacking me back up to my wheelchair. She comes around the corner and somebody had stolen my wheelchair. It's just a month after we did this whole bike ride. Kind of ironic. So because of that, we met some amazing people and we were able to have a big gala and an auction and did some other fundraising. So our little family in just under a year raised a hundred thousand dollars for wheelchairs just because we had an idea. And I never thought we would have done that. And who would think that? And it was amazing. So we actually, we've been down last spring break. We went down and we delivered wheelchairs to Southern Mexico. We delivered over 400 wheelchairs in three different cities. And I'll tell you what, I don't, no matter how hard a bike ride is, like our 10 year old riding a bike along the California coast, that's nuts. It's actually not very safe, but as hard as that was, as uncomfortable it was to have my wheelchair stolen and I didn't get a new one for a few months, um, to see that little 10 year old pick up a six year old little girl with deformed legs and put her in her first wheelchair and to see the tears in their eyes, this little girl starting to try and push a wheelchair. And then now she gets to choose whether she goes right or left not where someone else takes her. That makes it all worth it. And that's why we actually started our own nonprofit. We're still partnered with the Wheelchair Foundation and they're the ones who help, they build the wheelchairs and ship them. But now we have control over doing things locally as well. And uh, so we've helped the guy get a, a van so that he can drive. He's 43, he's never driven in life before, lives with his mom. Um, We've been able to help other kids get wheelchairs here locally that need them or very poor situations. So it's, it's been very fun, very rewarding. And actually this Saturday we have our, our second annual gala that we're, we're doing a big auction and we've got, it's, it's so much fun. It's so much work, but it's so much fun. And so we're hoping to raise another fifty, sixty thousand dollars this weekend. Um, wow. We got cool stuff. That's, that's incredible. Is there, where can we point some people to go and either donate or go to the, attend the gala? But where can they find more information? Uh, if you go to sharethehope.org, it's the nonprofit site and you can, you can donate there directly. If you're not able to come and you just want to help, um, if you actually want to come to the gala in Boise, Idaho, uh, you can get tickets on there and it sends you to a different site. But I mean, we got cool stuff. Like I, I can't grab it right now, but I've got a helmet sitting here that's signed by Rudy. 
Um, the Notre Dame player is so famous. Oh, wow. Uh, we've got all types of fun stuff in California, like going down crabbing out in the, in the Bay Area and up hunting wild pigs up out of Sacramento to, to uh, trips to Mazapan, Mexico. And, you know, all types of really fun things. It's, it's exciting. We got a, we got a $4,000 Thomas Kincaid painting that someone donated to us. Wow. And I'm like, I, I need people who, have, who want to buy these things. So it'll be fun. We'll have a lot of people there, but it'll, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's well worth it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of work. Uh, you must we would be. love people to donate. We would love people to be involved. That's all. Yeah, I'd love to help you help you get some more supporters, get some more awareness about it, because I think what you're doing is really phenomenal. I mean, uh, $150 a wheelchair, looking to raise fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. That's you know, that's really truly affecting a lot of lives. That's a lot. Uh, I love how you know it's it's a simple concept. You know, it's it doesn't seem like uh, you know, there's seems very cut and dry, you know, which is really awesome because when people donate money, they want to see exactly how it's affecting people's lives. And I think that's a, you know, I couldn't imagine a better feeling, even what you described right there, uh, you know, a six-year-old being able to turn left or right and maybe never having that option to control that motion before. That's mind-blowing to imagine. Well, you guys don't get it. Most people, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not putting it on people, but you don't get it. You take it for granted. You get to walk around. I know exactly what it's like to have everyone leave the room. And if I'm sitting on a couch, I can't do anything about it. And that feeling sucks to not have that choice. You're taking that agency away from people. And in America, we can get a wheelchair. If you need a wheelchair, you'll get a wheelchair. I mean, it's not that hard. But in other countries, it's not even an option. And what I, what blows me away is in some of these, like take even Africa, some of these countries, if your child is born with deformed legs or maybe they're in a war torn area and they step on a landmine that's old and they lose a leg or some arms, they will sell their kids into slavery or take them out to another tribe and leave them. Because if they don't, if they can't help provide for the family or for the tribe, then they're not worth anything anymore. And I can't understand that. I've got kids. I can never do that. But to them, it's a different deal. But if you can give them a wheelchair and now they can move around and not like there's great. And I'm not dogging on any other nonprofit. I mean, there's phenomenal things. But to me, I know this. So I will fight for it. We could raise money for to help get water or to get clothing for people or shots or whatever it is. But I've never had to go without, I've never been hungry. I've never gone without clothing. But if you give someone a wheelchair, you're not feeding them for a day. You've just changed their life for seven to 10 years. Seven to 10 years with $150. That is phenomenal. And every single penny we raise, especially over this next week, 100% of it goes to wheelchairs. None of it goes operating costs. Wow. And that's how we, we want to keep it that way as much as we can. I love that. I really do. Well, at what point did you decide to, to start the foundation? After the bike ride, we, we made up the name Chair the Hope just for our bike ride. And it became 
it, it stuck. We got a lot of followers with it. And then we started getting some people to ask if they could help here locally. And we said, you know what, we need to, hey, we need to do something with this. But it wasn't until we went to Mexico and we actually physically were helping people into wheelchairs and seeing their lives and not just their lives, but their family, because now their family doesn't have to carry them. Doesn't have to look out for them all the time. To see the whole family lives change, we knew that we had to do more. And uh, we actually have something else we're doing with our nonprofit. We're starting to create trips that uh, people can sign up and go down and actually do this type of stuff with us. Um, so our, our next trip is this next spring break, we're going to Costa Rica to deliver over 100 wheelchairs. And then we're going to start doing a couple of them a year. So it's going to be it's really fun and exciting. I, I think that is really phenomenal. That is so incredible. I, I can't imagine the the gratitude that these families must be feeling for for gaining access to a wheelchair like that. It's truly terrific. Uh, so before we uh, before we end off here, Nathan, is there any you know sort of like final asks of the audience? Any words of wisdom you'd like to leave them with? Anything um, you know? Any any requests? Um, I would say two things going with me and the other would be for, for them. Uh, one would just be, yes, like we just talked about, if you would like to donate or be a part of this, go to chairthehope.org. Um, if you need a, if you need someone to come speak for your company, nathanogden.com. Um, actually, we had a movie made about, or it's on chairthehope.org. We had a whole movie. It's like a documentary movie made about, about our bike ride and our trip to Mexico. It's phenomenal. And every penny of that goes toward wheelchairs. I think my book's for sale on there, and a portion of that goes to wheelchairs. But uh, last, I guess to finish it off with, is a quote that I love, is that comparison is the thief of all joy. Comparison is the thief of all joy. And it's very true. If you look at it, if you're, if you're comparing yourself to other people, which we do all the time, it's human nature, right? That's what we do, but you got to control it because if you're, if you're putting yourself above someone else, that's wrong. That's never going to do good for you. But on the flip side, if you're always looking up saying, I wish I was like them, you'll never feel good about yourself and you'll never accomplish that. So comparison is a thief of all joy. So never compare yourself to me and think, oh, Nathan has it so much harder than me. That's not true. I have never lost a child or gone through a terrible divorce. My wife's not fighting cancer. Um, there are so many hard things out there, very difficult things that I, I don't have to deal with, that these listeners are. So don't ever compare yourself to someone else. Whatever it is you're going through is real and it's hard, but I know you can get through it because we're stronger than we realize we are. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is, that's a phenomenal quote. I think it's, I think everyone needs more gratitude in their lives. And, and I think you're a really such a unique representation of that idea. I think it's, it's amazing. So thank you for that. Well, all right. Thank you for, for joining us again. And, and, uh, you know, best of luck at the gala and, uh, 
really looking forward to seeing what's next for you. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for having me on and I'll have to do this again. Absolutely. Thank you.